Welcome, welcome. Awesome. Always love having the students here and love having uh, just, just a, a warmth of what's happening in this church. I'm going to ask you just very quickly if you were here last week because absolutely was my favorite service I've ever been to at Union Chapel. The series on the God I Never Knew has been remarkable. And I just want you to, I want you to be responsive today. I'm going to ask you a few things that you respond to. And here's the first one. When Pastor Greg asked us to stand, if we wanted to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I know I stood with my hands up right away. Raise your hand if you stood last week. Raise your hand. Awesome. Come on, give it up for that. Awesome. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And I have a dear friend on the front row here, Derek, and others have talked to me that hadn't missed last week. And so at the end of this service, we're going to ask that question again. And uh, Pastor Greg's here to give the blessing and pray for us at the end. Uh, there's something happening unusual in the life of Union Chapel right now. My name is Robin Wood, and two and a half years ago, almost three years now, uh, Pastor Greg asked me to partner with him in planting 10 churches in 10 years. I want you to know, as of Easter this year, we had six churches, and I think we had a number of something like 256 or so in, in worship counting those six churches. Would you give God a hand clap of praise for that? It's awesome. Now, never forget this phrase. I use it often, but you, if you haven't heard me speak, you need to hear it. When God does something great, God always uses a person. When God does something great, God always raises up a person. That's what happens in 180 when he raises up our leaders over there. That's what happens in our children's ministry. When God does a significant ministry, God always speaks to a person and raises them up. So when Greg declared through a prophecy that we would plant 10 churches in 10 years. We did not take that lightly because it wasn't his own desire. It wasn't his own words. He felt God asked him to do that. And so we have rallied behind that. And so we have a church in Marietta, Ohio, and in Anderson, we have City Church. And we're starting a new church in the fall here in Muncie. We start in Nashville. As you leave today, we have a Mother's Day gift for you. I hope 100 or so of you will go down by the piano because Kyle, one of our music ministers here on our staff, is going to Nashville this fall to help start a new church in, in Nashville with Adam Keys. Would you give God a hand clap of praise for that, all right? And so um, we wanted you to know that Kyle, Kyle is on a piano scholarship at Ball State. We love him. He's going to be playing a Mother's Day gift of a couple songs for them. So grab your kisses that they're giving out and go down there and talk to each other. And, and you're going to really be blessed by his talent. And his mom and dad are in worship today. And, and Jeff, I want to thank you for helping me set up the grand piano. I'm still sweating from this morning at 7 a.m. Would you, in fact, Jeff, stand, would you? And, and would you stand, Julie? This is Kyle's parents. Would you, would you give them a warm welcome today? Awesome, awesome. All right. Now, first of all, happy Mother's Day. Now, I had one good opening. And, of course, we had so much going on today, I forgot to bring the flower. I got a big flower because I wanted to hold it and say... To all you mothers, for all you do, this bud's for you. That's what I wanted to do. But I didn't do it, so it wasn't as good without the flower. But uh, hey, we want you to know how much we appreciate you. Now, the truth is, Mother's Day is a great day because we wouldn't be here without our moms, okay? But it's also a painful day because not in every family are we always blessed. We have people that have lost a mom. I lost my mother. I should say she passed on to eternity into the presence of Jesus a year ago. And uh, so it's not, it's not always the most glorious day for all kinds of reasons. And some of us are from some painful families. 
Now, I got overwhelmed today because I was telling my story about my family, and um, my brother had not been in my life for 18 years until the last couple years, and my brother showed up at church last service. Come on, will you thank God for that? Awesome. And I, I fell apart out here, and, and we held each other, and he thanked me for telling our story um, because over the last 30 years, he had not get to talk to our parents. And, uh, and it was just a healing moment for us. So I'm praying that what I share today will be a healing moment for you and for your family. And also a great moment to celebrate. If you're from an awesome, fairly only minor dysfunctional family, <laughs> then I'm real happy for you. If yours is off the chart like mine, dysfunctional, then I hope you'll understand how good God is to give us other people in our life. Uh, because what God promises in the New Testament, I don't know if you've read this, but it's so clear. If your family, your biological family doesn't come through, God promises you a spiritual family. He, and he has done that for me. He has given me spiritual fathers and mothers. He's given me uh, spiritual brothers and sisters. So if you have pain in your family, God promised you a new family. And I can't think of a better church to have a family with than Union Chapel. I can't think. Now, I'd like you to stand for the reading of the scripture today. And if you'll throw that up there so I can read. Oh, it's right behind me, okay? Now, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul writes this to Timothy. Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and now I'm persuaded lives in you. For this reason, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And then a passage from Hebrews to all the parents here, to moms and dads. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. I want you to shout, no ordinary child. One more time. No ordinary child. Now, the truth is no children are ordinary, but they saw that, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. You may have a seat. I am so moved personally by the first text that says, Timothy, I saw the faith that's so sincere, lived first in your grandmother, Lois, then your mother, Eunice, and now in you. And by the way, he calls it sincere faith. One thing great about preaching for services that you get to throw some things in. So this is just bonus right here, ready? In, in the ancient days, if they made pieces, vases, or we call them vases, whatever, or if they made sculptures or whatever, you only had a sincere sculptor if you didn't put wax in it, Okay. If it had an error and it was filled with wax, it was kind of a phony kind of vase or, or an artistic piece. So when he says to Timothy, I see the sincere faith in your life, sincera, the two words that comes from the Latin, is without wax, meaning that your faith 
It isn't because you're perfect, but your faith is sincere. It's without false pretense. And so the one thing that Paul saw in Timothy's life was a sincere faith that he learned from his grandmother and his mother. Now, that's my story. My grandmother's name is Bessie. Her name was Bessie Turley. She was a triplet, by the way. And Bessie had two sisters named Tressie and Lessie. Come on, that's awesome. That's all true. You can't make that up. <laughs> Bessie, Lessie, and Tressie. I had people leave today and tell me other three-word names I just can't remember. They said, I had triplets in my family, and they told that story. But Bessie was the first person in the Turley family to find Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And my grandmother really loved Jesus. She was awesome. Now, she was in a very difficult marriage with my grandfather. Now, if you ever have me over and I don't have alcohol, I'm not against alcohol. Okay, I'm not. I'm not. But I don't drink at all for one reason. My grandfather's an alcoholic. And he was very destructive. And later, as I grew older and older, I realized how destructive that was to my mother, who was an only child. My grandfather was abusive in every way you can imagine. And as we learned that story, it was very destructive to my mother's life. So I celebrate my mother because my mother did find Jesus through her, her mother, and she became a pastor's wife. And there's so many good things I could tell you about my mother, but because of the abuse in her family, my mother was brilliant, first of all. She graduated high school at age 16. She went to Anderson College at age 16. That should be illegal, by the way. You should not be able to go to college at age 16. Because socially, you're not ready, okay? She met my father, who had been in the service, who's five years older, and my mother got married at 18. And she probably did most of that. My dad and her had a long marriage but, and, and, and all of that. But she probably did that to escape the abuse in her home. And we didn't know this story. You know, we're from a different generation. Back then, my mom and dad never told their story. My dad never told me until about 10 years ago that his father never touched him or ever hugged him. His father never told him he loved him. Neither did his mother. My dad joined the Navy illegally at 17. He forged the paperwork. I guess you could do that back then, whatever. So my dad was in the Navy for five years, and my dad drank and had a number of addictions until a chaplain led him to Christ his last day of the service. And my dad became a Christian and it changed his life. He came back home, and one of our grandmothers named Grandma Slayton, think of this text. When the faith of Jesus lives in your grandmother, Grandma Slayton said, I read an article in a Christian magazine about Anderson College and encouraged my dad to go to Anderson College. And he did. He became a music minister. He sang in what's called the Christian Brotherhood Quartet. He sang with Doug Oldham. Now, all you young people, you don't know who these people are. But my dad sang in a very neat quartet with Doug Oldham and Ron Patty. And my dad served Jesus his whole life. But my dad, out of his brokenness, I'm here to teach you a couple things today that I want you to say, okay, out loud. When you have addictions in your life, it's because you feel lonely all the time. I want you to say the phrase, lonely all the time. Lonely all the time. Say it one more time. Lonely all the time. If you have an addiction in your life today, I'm an addict. I've been sober for 19 years from my adrenaline addiction. But if you have an addiction in your life, whether it's drinking or, or smoke, whatever the addiction is, drugs, could be sex, could be anything, could be shopping. By the way, the bad thing about the church is we are hard on unacceptable addictions, but we accept all kinds of acceptable addictions. Are you with me? 
Like there's a lot of us overweight, and we say, God bless you, eat some more. Come on, smile at me. We accept that. And sometimes we eat because we're so lonely inside, you know? And so I went through a period of time where I tried to fill the emptiness in my life, even as a Christian, because my dad wasn't in my life, didn't hear from my dad sometimes for three, four years at a time. And my dad was a pastor, and I wouldn't hear from my mother, you know? And she had mental illness. And my mother had all kinds of struggles because of my grandfather's abuse. But they never told us their stories until over the last 10 years. But they loved Jesus. But they never got help with the depth of their pain. I was fortunate to meet a man by the name of Dr. Ralph Rill, and I got help with my addiction. He's one of the foremost people in the area of, of, um, of adrenaline addiction and also in sex addiction and other things. And he's a wonderful man, he's still alive. And he helped so many pastors. After I, after I heard from him, I would, I would tell every pastor I knew, you need to go see Dr. Earl. And they'd say, well, I think I should just listen to the Holy Spirit. You know what I'd tell them? If you listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll whisper, go see Ralph. Come on, that's what he'll say. And I'm gonna tell you something. Literally over 50 pastors in my life have gotten help with brokenness because they felt lonely all the time. Say it one more time, lonely all the time. The reason we try to fill this hole in our heart with other things is we're lonely all the time. But last week, when Pastor Greg asked us to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know what the promise is? You'll never feel lonely again. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There's only one thing that can fill that hole in your heart, and that's the presence of Jesus. Now, if you have a lot of brokenness in your family, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and still have some brokenness, and you need to get help with that. Now, as parents, there's only about three things we can give our kids, and it's in our text today. We can give them, we can give them courage to face the brokenness in their life. Do you guys know the story about Moses? When he was born, the Pharaoh declared that all the young boys should be killed. So Moses' parents saw that he was no ordinary child. Now what that means is, he was their child. There are no children that are ordinary. There are no children that are ordinary. There are some kids that end up ordinary because their parents are ordinary. But kids are extraordinary. Like, I don't know you, young lady, but you're extraordinary. No, I'm looking right at you in that black dress. And that little baby you're holding, that's a, is that an extraordinary baby, by the way? Extraordinary, extraordinary? Look at them, of course. Because that's how God wants you to see them. And you get to speak into your kids' lives. Now, I gotta tell you something that, that you don't believe right now. But there's one thing you can't do. I wish you could determine the future of your kids, but you can't. I wish you could control them so that they're perfect, but you can't. I'll never forget, our first child was Leah. Leah's 39 today. Leah was what Dr. James Dobson calls a compliant child. Smile at me. You know what that means? They can reason with you. They can talk to you. And if you have a compliant child first, you actually think you're a good parent. <laughs> That's really true. I'll never forget thinking, I must be an extraordinary parent. She listens, she talks. And I see other parents with their kids out of control. And I just think, I wish I could talk to them and help them. I remember thinking I ought to maybe teach a parent class across the nation. And I was about ready to do that. And then Brady Bunch was born. That's my boy. Brady was born and he was totally noncompliant. Brady would throw himself down the stores. No, we'd go shopping. We'd leave the whole basket of food. We had a place called Safeway. 
in Phoenix, we'd leave, I bet you we've left 10 full baskets of frozen food. Come on, people, because he'd throw himself down. I remember one day I was checking out, and I was checking out, and I kept saying to myself, and he threw himself down right in the line again, and he just, you couldn't console him, you couldn't talk to him. By the way, I'd already given up on the tour to teach parents. And I remember saying to myself over and over, hold it together. I was actually talking to myself, just hold it together. And finally, I actually said, Robin, hold it together. And the guy behind me said, Robin's not listening at all. I go, no, I'm Robin. (laughs) You cannot control your children. But you know what you can do? Tells us right here. Think of this. Do you know the story about Moses? He's in a basket because they're afraid his life's going to be taken. Then the sister goes, hides in the bushes. Moses' sister hides in the bushes. And they watch to see what's going to happen. And the Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket. And the Pharaoh's daughter looks at the baby crying and has compassion on the baby boy. And says, we need to find someone to feed this baby. By the way, I got to write a little book called What Are the Odds? I just tell God stories. They happen all the time around this church. They happen because we have a pastor that believes that God does miracles all the time. And so I got to write this little book, but I didn't start with that phrase. It started here with the story of Moses. So the Pharaoh's daughter finds him and says, we got to find someone to feed that baby. And the sister emerges from the bushes and says, do you want me to find someone? Somebody say, what are the odds? Oh, come on, people. Don't, don't sit there with your arms crossed like, am I going to light you up today? Come on, it's funny. And then she goes and finds Moses' mother. And Moses' mother gets to nurse Moses. Somebody shout, what are the odds? odds? And then they pay her to feed her own baby. That's electrifying. What are the odds? God is an awesome God. Now, I got to tell you some things from my perspective today at Union Chapel. I met your pastor when I was 27 years old. I was the music and youth pastor at the Eaton Church of God. I got saved at 19, and they asked me to be a youth pastor over six kids. I remember meeting with the board, and I said to them, I don't think I can hurt the youth group. I can only take them down to zero. That's what I said. But I told those six kids they could change the world. And God allowed me to lead them to Christ. And we became the largest youth group in this area. Because they believed that Jesus could change our lives. And I met your pastor. Before I left town at age 27, I found my way to your church. Now, they always respectfully call it the Cornfield Church. You know, that's what we call it around here. Your church wasn't called the Cornfield Church. The name of your church is Buzzard's Glory. Come on, people. That's the name of your church. And I went out to hear him preach at the unity service when I was 27 years old. And I found... Buzzard's glory after about an hour. I couldn't even find your church. It had three little wooden pews, a handful of people, and he preached a remarkable message. I still remember. And I remember thinking, this church is not going to be the same. And I went to Casper, Wyoming in two weeks and became the evangelism pastor in a church of 90 people. But I had made so many good relationships at the Eaton Church of God And I'll follow this. God had given me some spiritual parents and some brothers and sisters. And one of those spiritual parents, their name was Harold and Janet. 
Harold owned the golf course up here called the Lakeview Golf Course. You guys know where that is? And Harold let me, as a youth pastor, play golf for free for eight years. And he became a father figure to me. There were three men in that church became a father figure to me. One was named Junior Simmons, and one was Jerry Garner. And the last person, we used to wash feet, literally, you know, in the Church of God. So on a Thursday night, on Monday, Thursday, I washed Jerry Garner's feet because Jerry became a Christian. I'll never forget that night. And God gave me some spiritual parents. When I moved to Casper, Wyoming, can I tell you an outside view of Union Chapel? My spiritual mother, Janet, worked at Delta High School, and she let me know every time I talked to him, because I'd stop and see him when i come back in the summer stuff. She said, something unbelievable is happening at Delta. This pastor, this Greg Paris, he brought his church to Delta High School. Now, the backstory from my viewpoint I didn't know he had three women praying for him by the name of Gladys, Opal, and Flosey. Come on. Come on, give it up for that. Give it up. This is Mother's Day. And if you haven't read the Bible, the men all bailed out and the women came through. Come on, say amen. Mary and Martha still believe. Don't worry, the men, they all left the way. I thought you'd shout louder than that. Because God always uses a person when he changes the world. And he used these three women to pray for this young pastor. And so here's my viewpoint. He did everything a church planter would do. This is why he's a remarkable church planter. He took him to the high school. And then after people got saved and the church grew to three or 400 after five years, the economy went south. But you guys know God doesn't care about the economy. He just gave you a period of time so your pastor could buy the Ford dealership. Come on, enjoy it. And remember the story you told me? His sister, the guy that sold this property to you guys, his sisters had been praying for him that he would do something significant for God. The guy that sold this property, his sisters prayed for him to do something significant for God, and he did. I don't think he would have ever known that he would transform this whole city by selling this piece of property. What are the odds? Now, every day, you guys don't know the inside story of what happens here. If I got to pastor again, there'd be one thing I'd do different because of Pastor Greg. Every month on a Tuesday, he meets with the whole staff. I mean everybody, the secretaries, the support people, and he pours into our life and he tells us what God is talking to him about. So Tuesday after Easter Sunday, we were in regular staff meeting when very calmly, he told us a very personal story that's up to him to tell on Monday. And then on Tuesday in that staff meeting, Greg sits at the head of the table. I, I get there a little late, so they make me pull a chair up from outside. And I was sitting right here, and Candace sits kind of next to Greg here, and then the rest of the staff. And Greg prophesied, he told us what happened on Monday. And because of Beth's faithfulness, Beth said, we we're on the verge of some big breakthrough. And God gave him a prophecy that we had planned 100 churches in 10 years. And I started crying. Now, he always tells me I cry too much. I had open heart surgery. Just tolerate me, okay? I promise not to cry but once during this service, just once. And I haven't cried yet, so it's coming. Here we go. He prophesied, and I started crying. And then Pastor Glenn, by the way, is Pastor Glenn unbelievable or what? 
Listen, Pastor Glenn baptized my new daughter, Maggie, a year and a half ago. And I always wondered why Pastor Greg didn't baptize. Because Pastor Glenn looks in your eyes and says, will you follow Jesus? Will you do everything he asks you to do? Will you commit your whole life to him? And will you be a devoted follower the rest of your life? Then he holds you under for a while till you say yes. <laughs> you hear the bubbles? Yes. And he pulls you up and he goes, go forth. Come on. He did it a week ago. He's the best baptizer. I used to wonder why he didn't baptize. Because he's not very good at it. No, he, just, he doesn't shout. No, come on. I'm just having fun. He's awesome. He's like the Apostle Paul. You remember Paul said, I, don't, I didn't baptize most of you. Trust me. God gave him a prophecy to plant churches. And Pastor Glenn's amazing. Pastor Glenn was praying when he prophesied, and he looked up with tears in his eyes. He said, Robin Wood, look at me. I have a word for you from the Lord. And he looked right at me. And he said, I'm going to challenge you. And he used the word replicate, to replicate yourself in five church planters and teach them everything you know. Now, there's two true statements about that. I, I refuse to replicate them because I'm so dysfunctional. Come on and join me. But I'll use the word reproduce. I will pour my life into five people. So I've asked five people and four have said yes. These are four of the best church planters that I've ever raised up. And I said, look, you don't have to teach just everything I teach. You can expand on that. But three of those people are from Union Chapel. Caleb said yes, and Paul Erminger said yes, and Ryan Miller is one of our planters, and he said yes. And two are praying about it. And I believe they're going to say yes. And I believe they're going to plant more churches than I ever dreamed of. But Glenn looked at me, and then I started crying uncontrollably. I did, uncontrollably. Because on Monday, a mentor in my life had asked me the very same question. Would you, he used the same word, replicate yourself in five people. Now, you can't give your kids many things, but here's the three things you can give them. I went home and told that story to my kids. You can give them a boldness and a courage to do everything God asked them to do. And you can live out before them a life that God always provides. About three years ago, Maggie was at IU, and we had gone through our savings, and we had gone through my pension plan, and we had no more money left to keep her at IU, and she owed $8,000. And they actually sent her a threatening letter that she had to move out of the dorms. And I'll never forget, I thought, now, I, I've got to tell her what I believe without any, without any false hope. So Maggie called me in tears, and I said, Maggie, listen to me, people. I said, God will provide. I said, Maggie, you're not going to come home. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't know if I had to borrow. I don't know. But God will provide. And because you are allowed to speak into your kids' lives like they did. They spoke into Moses' life and didn't even get to raise him. Think of it. He went to Egyptian schools. He was in the Pharaoh's house. But they spoke into his life. He never forgot who he was and whose he was. So they had to somehow speak into his life so powerfully that Moses never forgot the call on his life. He never forgot his identity. He never forgot who he was. So I remember saying to Maggie, Maggie, you're God's daughter. You've been baptized by Glenn. You're not going to come home. I don't know how it's going to happen. I got a phone call in the next week. She posted on Facebook, 
My stepfather said, God will provide. She put on there, I need $8,000. I got a phone call from Chesapeake Energy. I got to be the pastor on that campus for three years under one of the wonderful men in my life, Aubrey McClendon, who I got to lead to Christ. And I got a call from Chesapeake Energy. When I worked there, I had fallen out of a truck and tore my meniscus. And they paid for it, and they fixed it, and I was thrilled. And it was working again, because I love to play tennis and golf and all that. They called me and said, we want to settle our account with you on your knee. And I said, hey, you already did. You paid for it, and I'm back to full functioning. They go, no, we want to make sure you never come back and see us again. That's what they said to me. So we're going to offer you some money, and if you'll sign the paperwork, then you can never come back and tell us your knees hurt again. And it wasn't, so I thought, well, what's the deal? And I said, well, how much money are they offering? You want to get excited? Will you get ready to at least shout what are the odds? We're offering you $8,023. Unbelievable. Now, I tell you what I'm excited about. I kept the $23 all for myself. I didn't share it with Julia. I spent it on myself. And I remember calling Maggie. And I said, Maggie, God is an awesome God. And I want you to know, I may never, I'm not your dad, I'm your stepdad, but I want you to know you're his daughter and he'll always provide. Now, she, 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 she loves being home. She's in Chicago now on a, dance, um, on a dance job. Both of my girls went through IU on dance scholarships and, and, and not full ones, of course, but they got, I think, 5,000 a year or whatever. But they're both top-notch dancers. And I, I'm so grateful for this church because Greg speaks into their life. They pull it up online. And I've asked them if they'd open their heart to the Holy Spirit, the way that I am right now. And I asked Gracie, who just graduated with the Provost Award in dance, if she would do a dance for us today. A son of mine in the faith is a guy named John McLaughlin. If you haven't heard his music, he's a marvelous artist. I met John when he was 20 years old. He came from Anderson College to Mountain Park Community Church. And I remember saying to him, God's gonna use you so powerfully. See, the reason we had to tell our kids the God story in our life and promise identity in Christ, we had to promise who they are and whose they are, is because they hear other voices. All the other voices say, you're not good enough. All the other voices. My girls are two of the most talented dancers I know. And you know what, you know what the world tells them when they try out? You need to lose weight. You're going to see Gracie dance. She's 102 pounds. And when she tries out for Broadway, they tell her, you need to lose weight because it's a sick world. But you can tell your kids who they are. John McLaughlin wrote this song called Beautiful Disaster because he went to school with a girl who was very talented and beautiful and she listened to the world. She became anorexic because she heard the words of the world instead of the words from her parents. So he wrote this song. I want you to, to watch it and be blessed by Gracie's talent and know that she knows who she is and who she is. You watch, you watch.
fresh lemonade Hates the sound that goodbyes make She prays one day she'll find someone to need her She swears that there's no difference Between the lies and compliments It's all the same if everybody leaves her She's not good enough The pictures that she sees Like her Yeah, you can give it up for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. When I preached last time here, I preached a message called Do What You Do. And then God said, Robin, you can't preach that without asking people to be who they are in Christ. So parents, that's all you can really speak into your kids' lives is tell them who they are. I've preached from Hebrews chapter 11 my whole life and never saw that everybody that God lists their life was really a beautiful disaster. Abraham lied about his wife. He did some things God asked him to do, of course. He's the father of our faith nation, okay? Sarah laughed at God. David was a murderer and adulterer. And on the list goes. Samson messed up after being gifted. Rahab was a prostitute. Listen, we all go through brokenness. I have a special love for our pastor because... When he asked me to help him plant churches, I had to sit in his office when he said to me, Robin, I know you lost your way for a short period of time. And he said to me, without any shame, he didn't shame me. He said, when you went dark, you went dark. 
But then he looked at me and reminded me who I was. I remember starting to cry and he said, no, look at me. He said, I want you to remember who you are. And he said, I trust you and I want you to do this with me. And he said, I prayed for you. That's all you can do for your kids is tell them who they are in Christ and give them a future and give them a blessing. When Annie, my youngest, was 13 years old, I was at a youth convention in Phoenix, Arizona. I'd preached the, the first night of the convention to over 5,000 kids. And I told them their only hope was Jesus. And I told my story of addiction because I'm an addict. Addicts feel lonely all the time. And I told them the help that I got through Jesus. And I told them that they could never, ever, ever be good enough. They could only trust Christ. And I remember saying, there's a thing out there called the purity card, which is to promise God on a card, signing your name, that you won't have sex before marriage. And I remember telling them, if God could have saved the world that way, he would have sent a bunch of cards and said, sign them. But he didn't. He sent his only son. If you don't know the story, Jesus asked the father to choose another way, but there was no other way. So when people tell you there's all kinds of ways to heaven, no, they're not. Jesus himself said, choose another way. And God said, you're the only way. So the second night of the convention, I stood with my three kids. They were 13, 16, and 19. And the next speaker challenged them to sign the purity card. Now, don't judge me. Hear me out. I leaned over to all three of my kids and said, don't sign the card. I'm begging you. Because the Bible says anything added to Jesus is anathema. Now, I don't want my kids to be sexually involved. I want them to have purity in Christ. But I know the card won't do it. So I begged them. Now, you got to understand Annie. Annie's my strongest-willed kid. She said, Dad, your life might be a mess, but I'm signing the card. Come on. So she signed the card, and I blessed her for that. I said, Annie, I know your heart is for Jesus. She just loves Jesus off the chart. Fast forward six years. Look at me, people. The phone call came. I didn't expect it. I didn't know at first, except I've never heard Annie cry uncontrollably. I had gone through a divorce. She had to go to college by herself. She was feeling lonely all the time. She chose Azusa. <laughs> I'm sorry, because she said, I can't live in Phoenix where they're going to ask me what's wrong with my parents who are pastors and got a divorce. She had a lot of pain in her life. She made one wrong choice, and I could tell the way she was crying. The Holy Spirit whis whispered to me, she's pregnant. And so she cried, and I said, honey, you can quit crying. She didn't quit crying. I said, the Lord already told me. You don't have to tell me. And then we cried for 20-some minutes. It was like it happened yesterday. And then I said, you know, you're already forgiven. I know who you are. You're in Christ. And she quit crying finally. And guess what she said to me? Dad, I got one more thing to tell you. The next day, James, my fiance, asked me to go to Walgreens and get plan B. 
It's essentially an abortion, you know that. And she said, I remember looking up at him and saying, James, that's not who I am. I know we made a mistake last night and I don't know if we're pregnant or not, but I'm in Christ and I will not go by that pill. I want you to throw one more picture up for me, will you? She remembered who she was. You see the girl on the right there, on your right? That's my oldest granddaughter. <laughs> because she said no to that pill. She gave me the most beautiful 11-year-old granddaughter. You want to give it up for God? It's awesome. And now, God forgives us when we make mistakes. A card's not going to save you, but Jesus will. So every day of Annie's life now, she's at Dove Harbor in Anderson ministering to pregnant teens because she knows who she is. You can only do a few things as a parent. You can give them courage to stand up for Christ. You can speak identity into their life. And then you can watch what God does. And you can project a future for them. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm simply going to ask you two questions. If there's been something in your life that you haven't been able to forgive yourself for, if you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and be consumed by the power of Christ and know who you are today, if you need a fresh start today, would you raise your hand right now all over this place? Awesome. 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 The worship team is going to sing a powerful chorus. Now I want you to look up at me. I'm going to do one more thing. You can only do one thing. And that is, you can't win the battle over temptation a year at a time. You can't win the battle of temptation three days at a time. You can't even win it for a month. But you know what you can do every day? You can tell your kids every day? You can choose Jesus every day and you can win the day. You can win the day. All I'm going to ask you, I'm an addict. You know what addicts pray every day? I'm powerless to change myself. I pray it every morning. I need someone more powerful. And it's not a card, it's Jesus. And I turn my life over to him every day. And then you align yourself with people like Pastor Greg, and you simply win the day. By the way, there are mothers here that have three kids under age five. Try to win an hour, okay? Just win an hour. There are moms here that have so much pressure in their life. So for you today, I bought this shirt so that you never forget, you can win the day. I want you to shout it with me. Say, win the day. Come on, what are you going to do this week? One more time. Amen.